I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Genesis as we continue walking our way through the very first book of the Bible. We find ourselves this morning in Genesis chapter 11. We're going to cover verses 1 through 9 in a message entitled, What Did You Say? As we prepare to dive into the text this morning, I want to ask a simple question of you. What is the one technological advancement that you heard about, but were absolutely convinced there is no way that's going to work? The thing that you thought, there's no way that's going to work. I remember talking with my great-grandmother before she passed away, and she shared with me that when conversations started coming out about indoor plumbing, she said that was the craziest thing that I had ever heard. She said, who wants to go to the bathroom in your own house? Talking to my dad, and he said, I remember the very first time that the conversation was that we were going to actually have air conditioning in our homes. He said, that was mind-blowing to me. He didn't understand how that would ever work. And I think about in my own life, things that came about during my growing up years. I mean, the remote for the TV. How amazing is that, right? You don't have to get up and turn the dial on the TV anymore to try to change channels. And then for technological advancements just in the last number of years, you can actually have a vehicle that will parallel park itself. Do you know that? Where was that when I was taking my driver's test at 16, right? Just press the button and it puts you where you need to go. You know, it's interesting when we look around, we realize that people are absolutely creative and ingenious about things that they're doing. I mean, the things that are being created today and have been created throughout history are absolutely fascinating. And what we're going to see this morning is really kind of the Genesis story of mankind's ingenuity and creativity and where it ultimately leads, which is disaster. It's not encouraging, it's not uplifting, but I hope this morning that as we look, we'll be able to recognize and understand why that's the case. Why did things go off the rails very quickly in Genesis chapter 11? And so this morning, I want to read the text for us, and as we do each week, we're going to walk back through it together, ask the Lord to speak to us through His Word. So as you follow along, we're in Genesis chapter 11 beginning in verse 1. This is God's word. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, Let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. 
Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. You would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You know, as we come to Genesis chapter 11, we've been walking our way through this book and we've begun to see God's plan of redemption unfolding. In fact, in the early chapters of Genesis, we talked about a God who created everything that exists, everything that we see, including us as mankind, that God created us and God has a design, a purpose for how he's created us. And ultimately, he desires that we would worship him with our lives. That's the reason that we exist. That's the reason that we were created was to spend our lives worshiping God because he is deserving of our worship. So we saw that in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, and during that period of time, things were going pretty well until we come to Genesis chapter 3. And if you remember, we see very quickly that instead of walking in obedience to the Lord, that people chose instead, Adam and Eve, to not follow the Lord in obedience, but actually to disobey God. And as a result of that, sin entered the world and from that point forward, our problem that we have in the world in which we lived ultimately is a sin problem. Every other problem that we see is simply a symptom of that one problem, sin. And we saw very quickly that things began to go awry. We saw murder in Genesis chapter 4. We see that the Lord says that in creation that people were doing whatever was right in their own eyes, that they were doing evil only continually. We saw that the Lord decided to bring judgment and very quickly he called Noah and said to Noah, I want to use you and I want to be a blessing to you and I want to bless you as you seek to follow me in obedience. Noah, build an ark. And once you build this ark, you're going to enter into it. And when I send judgment by flood, you're going to be saved, all you and your household. And as a result of Noah's obedience, he did build the ark and lived through the judgment of God. And we said that for us, it is a picture of Christ. He is our only hope for salvation. And moving forward from that, we saw that the ark came to rest, the floodwaters receded, and ultimately at that point in time, Noah and his family leave the ark, and God says to them, very similarly to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, I want you to fill the earth, be fruitful and multiply, subdue it. I want you to do exactly what I've created you to do, and that is to create little worshipers of me and spread my fame and my glory throughout all the world. 
And we come now to Genesis chapter 11. And if you were following along with us last week, I want you to know that Genesis chapter 11 chronologically actually fits at the end of chapter 9 before we see here Noah's descendants in chapter 10. This passage of scripture finds itself before chapter 10 in terms of chronology here. And this is what we're going to see this morning. What happens when people who are created in the image of God do what God has called them to do, and that is to create, to begin to work and to move, and yet choose instead of walking in obedience to God to actually disobey God. Where do things go off the rails? That's what we're going to see this morning. And so I want you to write down this main idea that will frame our time together in the text. And it's this truth, ungodly ambition is soul crushing, while godly ambition is soul flourishing. Ungodly ambition is soul crushing, while godly ambition is soul flourishing. Let's look at verse 1 of Genesis chapter 11. This is what God's Word records for us. The whole earth had one language and the same words. And if you had to take Spanish or something like that in high school, you're going, I'd go back to that in a heartbeat, right? Same language, don't have to worry about that. I made a C in French in college my second semester, and you know why? I didn't know French. That was why I didn't. It was, it was hard But at this point in time in history, they had the same language. They had the same words. And as people migrated from the east, it says they found a plane, and that's not a plane that you fly, that's a flat piece of ground, in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, notice what they say, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. Now, It's the first time we really see anything about making building products. They are creative and ingenious in being able to pull this thing together. And what we recognize and understand is that this is one of the reasons that we were created was to work. And they look and they say, let's build something. But here's where things begin to go off the rails in verse 4. Then they said... Come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Listen to this part. Verse 4, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now back up for just a bit. What did God tell them to do? Well, God had said to them, I want you to disperse on the whole earth. I want you to fill the earth and subdue it. I want you to go out from this place. They said, instead, God, we got a better plan than you. You ever been there thinking you've got a better plan than God has for your life? In this moment, they say, no, let's build this city. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's plant roots in this location. If you're taking notes, write down this first truth that we see early on in the text here, and it's this reality, ingenuity, creativity, divorced from the willingness to submit to God ultimately leads to disaster. Ingenuity, creativity, entrepreneurship, the desire to build, to make, those things are not bad in themselves, but divorced from a willingness to submit to God ultimately will lead to disaster. 
So think about the first part of the verses this morning. For them, they decided, let's build something. And we see that God doesn't say there's anything wrong with that. And in fact, it makes sense because we were created in the image of God. We serve a creator God. And it's only natural for us to desire to create ourselves. You don't have to spend very long back in the nursery or in the toddler room to recognize kids want to create things. They want to color on coloring sheets. They want to build with blocks. Now, there are some kids that want to knock them down, right? But they want to build. They want to do something. I have cards in my drawer in my office and at, at home of pictures that my girls have drawn through the years and given to me, little notes that they've left on my desk in my office. I mean, kids want to create. And let's be honest, we want to create. We want to use the gifts that God has given us and we want to create. We want to create music. We want to build buildings. We want to design architectural feats. We, we want to do those things and it's not bad in and of itself to desire to do that. In fact, God created us in his image and since he is a creator, it makes sense that we would in turn desire to create. I want to encourage you this morning, if you have a child, a teenager in your house, do not clamp down on their desire to create, on their desire to use their gifts to make something. We were made for that. We were created to do that. But what we find out very quickly in the text this morning is that things begin to go awry. And the reason that they begin to go awry is very simply phrased in verse 4. They decided to make a name for themselves and they did not want to be dispersed throughout the earth the way God had told them to do. At this point in time, they are beginning to build not in terms of creating something because they were created in an image of God that is a creator God, but they were creating because they didn't want to do what God had called them to do. And at this point in time, what we have to recognize and understand is that the human heart is deceitful and wicked because of sin. And for us, we live in a culture that says create things, but does not follow that with submit to God in all your ways. And so I want to encourage you this morning to recognize and understand, yes, you've been created to build, created to create, created to work and to do things that God has given you gifts to do, but remember that we're called to submit ourselves to him, to walk in obedience to him. You know, it's interesting that because of the sinfulness of the human heart, what ends up happening when we look at creating something is we, in fact, designed we want to be like God. If you remember back in Genesis chapter 3, that was the temptation that was presented to Adam and Eve in the garden. Satan comes to them and says to them, you know what, if you'll eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be just like God. God doesn't want you to be like him. And so for them, they looked and they recognized, oh, God's holding out on us. We can be like God, so let's disobey God and let's eat of this fruit. 
You know, it's interesting when you look at what's going on around us, culture and creativity and all of those things, what you see and recognize and understand is that the things that are being created, oftentimes, if they're not submitted to the Lord, try to put ourselves in the position of God. I was reading an author one time, I can't remember who it was, but it was one of the greatest connection points I think I've ever seen. He said, if you look throughout history in the United States, what you'll realize is that the technological advancements that we've experienced in this country fall along the lines of the attributes of God. Think about God being omnipotent. He said, think about the fact that A lot of the creation early on in this country through the steel industry, through railroads, through shipbuilding, all of those things were an effort ultimately to be omnipotent. Nobody could hold you down. In fact, all of us look and we recognize and we desire that. Why are the Marvel movies so watched? Why are they so enjoyed? I mean, who doesn't want an Iron Man suit, right? I mean, we want to be all-powerful. We want to be strong. We want to be able to withstand anything. And so what we recognize and understand is that if we're not careful, if what we create is not submitted ultimately to the Lord, that we instead decide we want to be like God instead. Think about that in terms of God's character quality of being omnipresent. Think about the automobile when it first came out. Think about the automobile industry. Think about planes when they were first created. What was the promise that was made? You could be anywhere you want to be. What about God's omniscience? God knows everything. When the internet was created, which people said would never happen, All you have to do now is simply Google. You can find out anything you want. Now, half of it's not true. Just put that out there, right? But if you ask kids today, how do you do research? You know what they don't say first? Go to the library. They don't say that. Google it. That's how you research. What we realize is that all of these things are not bad things that have been created, but the deception in that is that those things will make us like God. If they're not submitted to walking in obedience to him, if we're not careful that that's exactly where we'll end up, that's where they ended up in Genesis chapter 11. For them, at this point in time, they said, Let's make a name for ourselves. We know what God's called us to do, but we don't want to submit to him. Problem is, we make terrible gods. You and I cannot bear the weight that God can bear. Just yesterday, we're out here working, go home, and so I have a medical condition occasionally that pops up called kidney stones. If you've had those, you know what I'm talking about. Um, Ladies who have gone into labor and also had kidney stones say kidney stones worse than labor. So just put that out there. I'm not going to verify that or not. All right. Just putting that out there. So I went home yesterday and, uh, and about two o'clock yesterday afternoon, kidney stone pain hit. And in that moment, I'm thinking, 
this is just a good reminder that I am not God, right? And so I try to do everything that you're supposed to do right. I, I took medicine. I try to drink as much water as I can. My wife graciously made apple cider vinegar solution that's supposed to dissolve them. And I'm, I guess it helped. I'm not really sure. Here I am this morning, right? But what it reminded me of is that we are not God. As I'm walking in the trails through my neighborhood, trying to get a little bit of relief from the pain and double over and just lay on the ground right there, it's pretty awesome, right? In that moment, I'm like, I, I'm not God. But if we are not careful, we will think like they thought. That we have so much creativity, so much ingenuity that we can be like God. We can use the, God, the gifts that God has given us, and if they're not submitted to him, that we can be like God. But the problem is, we're not God. And at this point in time in the text, the Lord in verse 5, I love the description here. The Lord came down to see the city. Think about that for just a second. It's evidently not impressive enough that the Lord sees it from heaven. Think about that. The Lord who is seated in the glories of the heavens, the Lord who is enthroned above everything, the Lord has to come down and see it. I love that. And here he says, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. The Lord comes down and sees and says, this is just the beginning. If you remember back a few chapters ago, the Lord looked at creation and said, it is only evil continually in their hearts. And in this moment, the Lord is seeing and saying, here we go again. They don't have a desire to walk in obedience to me. They are in fact going totally against what I've called them to do. And so the Lord says in this moment, verse 7, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Corporate culture will tell you that the greatest thing you can do to build up your business, your company, your culture within your organization is to have excellent communication. Husbands, you know this with your wives, right? Your wife, you say, how are you doing? And your wife says, I'm fine. That does not mean she's fine, right? Some of y'all are like, what? She ain't fine. I'm just telling you, okay? Or you say, where, you, where do you want to go to eat? And she says, it doesn't matter to me. That's a lie. It does matter. You got to understand communication in marriage, right? But here it's the same thing. For them, they are gathered. They have one language. They're able to communicate with each other. So the Lord does a fascinating thing. He says, let's confuse their language so that they do not understand one another's speech. No longer are they able to communicate with one another. No longer are they able to do what they were previously doing. And so as a result, the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. The Lord did 
what he said they needed to do, which was to fill the earth and subdue it. Therefore, verse 9, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now, as we look at this, we see very clearly that ingenuity, creativity, divorced from the willingness to submit to God ultimately leads to disaster. But I want you to notice the flip side of that as well. It's the opposite. Ingenuity, creativity, united with a willingness to submit to God ultimately leads to blessing. So here's the thing. As followers of Jesus who are gathered here this morning, here is something that I want you to think through, especially as it relates to your kids, to your teenagers, and also to you personally as well. God has created every single one of us in his image, and there is a desire within us to create, to achieve, to work, to build, to do things. And I want to encourage you to fan the flame in your life when it comes to that. If you have a kid who is talented playing guitar, fan the flame in that. If you have a kid who is talented when it comes to painting or building something or is technologically minded, able to develop things, knows how to work with robots or computer language, things I have absolutely no idea about. But they're gifted in that and they're working that fan the flame in their lives there and teach them to follow Jesus. Fan the flame for them to create and to do things, but help them submit to God's plan for their lives. You see, the reality is if we have people in this culture who are followers of Jesus and who are creating, who are on the cutting edge of technology, who are creating things that we will use in this culture, but who have a biblical worldview, who have submitted their lives to Jesus Christ, we can experience blessing as a result of that. Here's where the problem comes in. Oftentimes, as believers, we just simply pull ourselves out of that. We lose sight of the fact that for us as followers of Jesus, we should be the absolute best at everything. We ought to be the best. We should be the smartest. We should be those who create the best things. We should be the ones who are on the cutting edge of scientific development and technological development. And we should fan the flame in our kids' lives to be just that for Jesus. And as a result of that, experience the blessing of walking in relationship with the Lord. You know, it's interesting when you look at this text, because at this point in time, what you see transpiring is that the Lord confuses languages and then sends people out. And then from this point forward, we're going to be introduced to Abraham as we continue to walk through the text in the book of Genesis. We're going to see God's promise made to Abraham. We're going to see God's blessing and God make a promise to Abraham that he will bless all of the nations as a result of Abraham. We see ultimately that that leads to Jesus Christ as we continue to walk our way through redemption history. And then... 
We see Jesus' life and death and resurrection. You say, Michael, what in the world does that have to do with Genesis chapter 11? Thousands of years before Jesus' death and resurrection. Well, I want you to know that we see a reversal of Babel take place. We see a reversal of languages confused. And I want you to notice, just write out in the margin of your Bible or in your notes this morning, Acts chapter 2, because that's where we see this reversal take place. Jesus Christ's death and his resurrection, his encouragement and challenge to Peter and the rest of the disciples to go and to make other disciples and to spread throughout the world. And it's in Acts chapter 2 where the nations come to Jerusalem. On the back end of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and Peter stands up and proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we can be saved from our sins, not by our efforts, not by our good works, but only on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Salvation is available only through him. What's interesting is in Jerusalem, you have people who have come together from all nations and tribes and languages, but the Lord does an amazing thing. As Peter stands and preaches the gospel, and as they begin to minister there on the day of Pentecost, the scripture says that every single person who had gathered there together heard the gospel in their own language. Never happened since Genesis chapter 11 where words when they're spoken are understood by every single person who is there. But in Acts chapter 2, the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. And 3,000 people who spoke all different languages come to faith in Jesus Christ because they were able to understand the words that were spoken. What took place here in Genesis chapter 11 where new cultures are formed, where languages are formed, where people are scattered around. We see reversed in Acts chapter two as the gospel is proclaimed. People understand it in their own language and the promise that's made to us in scripture is that in Christ there is no distinction. That in Christ, language doesn't prevent us from gathering together. Race doesn't prevent us from gathering together. Socioeconomic background doesn't prevent us gathering together. That it is at the foot of the cross, every single person is able to come to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ to be forgiven of their sins and brought into the family of God. The promise we have in the book of Revelation is that surrounding the throne of God, when all of this is said and done, will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation around the throne of God praising Him because on the day of Pentecost, when those who were gathered in that place heard the gospel, They received it, and then they left from that place. 
And they didn't keep it to themselves. In their own tongues, they shared the gospel throughout the world. And as a result of what God did in that moment that you and I are sitting here today being recipients of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, what does that mean for us in this moment? We have the privilege and the opportunity every single day to use the gifts that God has given us, to walk into our workplace and to use the gifts that God has given us and work not for our boss. You may not like your boss. Pastor Scott, you like your boss, right? All right. but to walk in and to use that workplace as an opportunity to serve the Lord. Students, to use your school as an opportunity to serve the Lord. Stay-at-home moms, to use your home as a place to raise children that love Jesus with their lives. In our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, to use the gifts that God has given us as we serve and as we work, as we build and as we create, not so that we would make a name for ourselves, which is what our culture says we need to do, but so that we can make a name for Jesus in this world, that we're able to use what God has given us to leverage that in such a way that other people come to faith in Jesus Christ because of our lives. I want to ask you if you would to bow your heads with me this morning. Our worship team will make their way back up. Maybe you've come in today and for you, you've never taken the step of trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. As we talk about that this morning, what I want you to recognize and to understand is that God created you for a purpose. And there is a hole in your heart that only he can fill. And you can spend your life creating and working and doing all that you can and never find ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment and the reason is because you don't have a relationship with God. And this morning, you have the opportunity to respond by faith, to receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus Christ offers to you today. It's made available through his life, death, and resurrection, where he lived the life that you and I could not live, perfect, sinless, where he took your sin and my sin upon himself on the cross and paid for our sins there, absorbing the wrath of God against sin. He died, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave, securing salvation for you if you will simply receive him as your savior. Maybe for you this morning, that is the step that you need to take, and I'd encourage you as we sing in just a moment and have a time to respond, to take that step. Where you're seated right now, when you stand, you come grab my hand or Pastor Aaron's hand this morning and just say, I need to take that step of trusting Jesus as my Savior. If 
you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, maybe for you, this passage has brought conviction in your life because you have really adopted the same mindset that they did. I want to make a name for myself. And submitting yourself to the Lord this morning is not to put your ambition on the sidelines but it's to channel it through what God's called you to do walking in obedience to him utilizing your gifts to glorify him to bring fame not to yourself but to him parents maybe this is an opportunity for you grandparents as well as you look at children and the kids that are in your life where you desire right now just to lift them before the Lord, to pray for them, to ask God to use them in incredible ways, not to make a name for themselves, but to make a name for Him. God, we ask in this moment that you would work in our hearts and our lives that, God, you would convict us where there's sin. And be, we'd be willing in this moment to bring that and confess that to you. If we're here this morning and we've not received Jesus as our Savior, that we would take that step today. God, if we're in this place and utilizing what you've given us for our own fame and glory. God, convict us of that. Help us see how glorious you are. God, I pray for our students, our kids. God, that they would use the gifts that you've given them, that they would strive for excellence and be ambitious, but not for themselves. God, that they would do that to bring fame to you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing, you respond to the Lord. Our altar's open this morning. Our pastors are here. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you. You respond.